following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So we're finishing up today our four-week series called Faith at Work. And I've had a really uh, good time going through this topic with you. I hope that you've had a good time as well. And I'm really excited for how this is going to end up today, uh, which is with a, a discussion, a panel discussion time uh, with four different people from Artisan who are working in four different vocational industries, um, talking about how specifically we can live out faith at work. And then following, thank you so much, following the service today, we are having a, a potluck lunch, which you're welcome to attend, even if you didn't bring anything, by the way. And at that lunch, we're going to seat you according to your industry, whatever it might be, whether it's farming or homemaking or medicine or education. We're going to do our best to get you seated, seated next to people who work in a similar field as you, and you're going to have a discussion about this uh, so you can put uh, boots to the ground in your own life on these topics, I hope. I'm really excited for how that will go out and uh, for how that will go. And then in the future, if you find this thing really kind of useful, uh, it's my hope that those conversations may continue. Maybe there'll be a quarterly um, gathering or uh, a series of gatherings a few times a year for people in various industries just to kind of touch base and support each other and that kind of thing. Uh, because living out our faith at work is such a crucial part of being uh, Christian people who, whose entire lives are dedicated to service of Jesus. So, so to recap where we've been very briefly... We started in the first week with a message called uh, Work in Paradise, talked about how the stories of creation that are found in the first couple chapters of the Bible assume that work is present in God's good creation before sin enters the world. So we're trying to correct the, the misconception that work is part of the curse of sin. And instead we're thinking about the fact that work, just like everything else in the world, is under the curse of sin. Work was good, work has fallen just like everything else in the world, right? So the second message talked about what it means to, to work in a fallen world, toil and thistles, how, we, how work becomes more difficult and it becomes somewhat fruitless sometimes and it seems pointless sometimes and so on and so forth. And what does it mean to live as people of faith who, uh, who believe that the world has been redeemed uh, but that the story has not yet totally been written to its completion? We're in this in-between time. Uh, how can we, what does that mean for us as people of faith uh, when we enter the workplace in a fallen world? And then last week we talked specifically about how we can, uh, I use this kind of highfalutin phrase, how we can bring the gospel to bear at work. How we can be witness to the story of Christianity in our workplaces, no matter what they are, no matter what we do, whether we are in a field um, that, that's so-called a Christian field where it's expected or where, whether we're in a field that seems maybe even antithetical to Christianity and it's a, it's a dark place, how can we still be witness to the Christian story, which again is that the whole world was created good, the whole world is fallen, and the whole world is being redeemed. Uh, and we talked a little bit about that last week. And... I want to think just very briefly about that again today before I introduce our discussion panel. And I want, to, I want you to think about this question uh, as you ponder your own workplace. 
whatever it is that you do when you get to work, I want to ask you the question, is there a uniquely Christian way to do that work? Fill a cavity, mop a floor, write some code, offer counseling, teach biology, flip a burger, answer a telephone, study for finals, read the news, sell a sweater, pull a shot, insert an IV, change a diaper, and we could have gone on and on and on and on and on. Whatever you do, whatever your, your vocation, your industry is, and uh, you know, if you pardon me to use the word industry, even though you may not feel like you're, you're, your day-to-day actions are um, the work of industry or industrious in that specific way, I do think all of us um, need to think critically about how we spend our time. And this question is interesting to me. Is there a uniquely Christian way to do this stuff? Here's one answer that you might be familiar with if you, if you have spent time in Christendom, as I have, and it's, it's, uh, it's represented best by the image torn from the yellow pages, right? <laughs> have you seen this nonsense before? I'm sorry, if you've uh, purchased a yellow page ad in the past with this kind of nonsense, I don't mean to be insulting. Um, but do you know what this is? This is a, a, happens to be a plumbing company that has baptized their entire uh, work of, uh, I think, just manipulating fluid dynamics in tubes of copper with a Christian symbol, the little fish, right? And that message communicates nothing to people who don't know what it is, but to those of us who are on the inside and know to look for it, this message communicates, if you're a Christian, you should call a Christian plumber. And I am a Christian plumber. You can tell because I put a fish on the letter A. Right? And so we ghettoize ourselves into this, into this subculture. And uh, you see this. You, uh, do you remember the yellow pages? Any of you old? We got the yellow pages. They got delivered out front here. I'm like, they missed the recycle bins. They're way over there. Um, <laughs> you could flip through those books. They have pages of, maybe still, people buy these ads. You can find it in every industry. You'll find the Christian mechanic, the Christian plumber, the Christian... The Christian flooring, yes, there's even a company called Christian flooring. We, don't, we shouldn't call out specific people. Mel, it's very inappropriate. <laughs> this is one answer. The uniquely Christian way to do my job is to announce to the world that I am doing it as a Christian. And so too, um, here's, the, here's the big problem with this. Like, and it's best, I, I, don't, I don't like this this approach to business. At its worst, what it is doing is trying to, it's, it's leveraging your, your personal faith as a way to get more business. So I, I don't really like it in any context, but in that, in that worst case scenario context, I really think it's inappropriate. So take that off the screen. We don't want to look at that anymore. Part of the, this, this is kind of the big question that I'm, I'm asking you to consider through this whole series. Whatever you do at work, is there a, a way to do it that that assumes and involves and lives out your personal faith, your participation in the Christian story. Everything is good, everything is fallen, everything is being redeemed. That's the big question for this series, and uh, there are some specific questions that we'll ask as we try to answer that big one. So I want to uh, introduce you now to our discussion panel. We have four women uh, who are going to share with us 
now. So you can come on up. I'll get your seats ready here. Try to get stuff out of the way so people can see you. Yeah, two right here. Thank you, Jolene. have some questions. I'm going to step down here so that people can see you better, except you. I'm going to block your view. Um, Here. Why don't I uh, stand off to the side? That way, I won't be able to look you in the eye quite as much, but everybody else will, and that's what's important. I don't always think everything through ahead of time. Have you noticed that? Okay, so we have... Uh, Jolene and Steph and Angela and Megan, I would like you to begin, if you would, by uh, telling everybody your name again and what you do for work. Just uh, a couple of sentences. Um, I'm Jolene Walter, and I am in education. Right now, I'm actually getting a master's in childhood education over at the Warner School at the University of Rochester. Um, and I have to be right up front and completely honest that I am pretty new to the field because I um, am doing student teaching right now. I'm not even certified yet, but um, I might be able to bring some insider or newcomers insight um, into the process. Yeah, I'm Stephanie Sanwell, and I was a nurse at Strong for eight years, and I just made the transition to being a nurse practitioner there about five months ago, so I'm kind of in a similar position where I can speak to sometimes an RN, but I'm being introduced to the new role as a nurse practitioner at Strong. So, I'm Angela, and I'm a scientist. I do biomedical research at um, the U of R. I'm Megan. Um, I'm a music therapist and a small business owner. I own Spectrum Creative Arts with two other music therapists in the area, and uh, we do music and art therapy and instruction and lots of exciting things. All right. So, <clears throat> I tried to mute it before I coughed. I muted it after I coughed. <laughs> this is bothering me. So, these are just four individuals from the artisan community, and I think they are an interesting but only partial cross-section of what is represented here. Um, I had a great deal of fun looking at the, the results of the Faith at Work surveys where you told us, all, you told us what, what fields you all work in. We have a really amazing, diverse community of workers here at Artisan. Really, really interesting. And um, these four wonderful professional people are here this morning because they are especially good at living out their faith in the workplace. They all told me (laughs) that they think they're awesome at this and they should be set up as an example of what every person should do, right? No, that's absolutely not the truth. Um, I'm sure they all do a wonderful job with this, better than they might give themselves credit for, but uh, I want to be clear at the outset that this is not intended to to be um, necessarily an example that, that you are supposed to follow. It's an example of four individuals who are struggling to, to figure out what this means for them, just like every one of you is, okay? And um, so thank you all for being part of this, and we're going to talk a little bit, and 
As we do, I would like you to be, and you probably will do this naturally anyway, but I'd like you to be thinking about um, how would I answer that same kind of question? Spoiler alert, I'm going to ask you to answer that same question over lunch if you stick around for lunch so uh, you can get a head start. Unlike these folks who just kind of have to answer it cold. That's not true. I sent them the questions. Um, so I want to start with that threefold Christian story that we've come back to time and time again. The whole world is good. The whole world has fallen. The whole world is being redeemed. And um, Angela, since you have the microphone at this present time, <laughs> maybe you could start with that first part. In your work, do you see evidence of the kind of original goodness of God's creation um, around you? For sure, I do. Um, and I see it in a lot of different ways. Um, the people who work in science are recipients of God's gifts, usually. Um, they have a certain type of intelligence. Uh, and uh, an extreme, uh, usually an extreme amount of dedication to their, their chosen field. Um, um, then again, we're in the process of exploring God's creation and learning more about it. So every, you know, every day, every time we learn something new, we are, um, you know, just sort of being exposed to how miraculous and perfect and amazingly intricate and beyond anything that, you know, humanity could have come up with on their own. It it really is. So, um, yeah, for sure. I, I always try to remember that that's, you know, what we're really looking at. Yeah. Um, how about you, Megan? Do you see evidence of God's goodness, kind of original created goodness in your work? Um, I, I definitely do. I think the fact that I'm able to use music in such a way that um, music for some reason is therapeutic and the fact that something that's so aesthetically interesting and pleasing can also help people in such a unique way is I think evidence of that um, I it still kind of boggles my mind that that can happen hmm. um, so I think that's kind of how I I see evidence of that yeah um, and let's have one more person answer that you, either one of you could answer that question and then we'll move on to the next question the, um, actually, it's interesting because Angela is saying that, you know, the just the, the small things where you see were, you know, God's original and the intrinsic good of just the small things. I think sometimes we get caught up where I work with, like, oh, my goodness, we just got someone through this major illness or something like this, and you get caught up in that. But sometimes it is just the fact that, you know, we're actually able to run tests that can guide a treatment or that the people actually do care and have shown up to do their work. Yeah. Um, and then we've been given the ability to do so. Yeah. Um, so, Jolene, why don't you start by answering this next section. We're going to think about the second part of that Christian story, which is that the, the whole world has fallen. There's something broken about all of us and about everything around us. And what evidence do you see of that in your workplace? Well, if anyone has ever been into a school, and God forbid you've ever been into the staff lounge at that school, and you know what is going wrong in the education system in the United States. Um, and there's just so much. I mean, I, I can't even get into all of it. But especially um, from my perspective, because I am studying at the Warner School right now, um, and there is a really big push there for social justice, and it's a research school. So 
there's a lot of talk about what is wrong and what, what can we do to fix it. And, um, you know, in particular, we just see a lot of the, um, this competition mentality that has happened in the U.S. and the, the rise of high-stakes testing um, and how this is really... It is privileging some students over others, and it's closing the door for a lot of students, um, closing the door on creativity for teachers. The profession of teaching has is becoming deprofessionalized, um, where teachers really aren't given as much say as they as many believe they should have. Um, and so there's all of this going on, and then also we see things like. Um, I want to call it kind of a selfish mentality, although I know that's not really how how people are really approaching it, but we see that there's this polarization in the schools of um, those parents who can pull their kids out of the city schools um, because they don't want their kids to be in a place without resources or where they might see it being dangerous. And so there's this um, episodic white flight is what they call it out of the city. And so then you have these polarized schools in the suburbs where they're, it's mostly white, mostly affluent, um, they have a lot of resources, you know, new athletic facilities, really high-tech security systems. And then you have the city schools, which is where I've done most of my work, um, where there is a lack of resources completely. I mean, I worked in a school where we couldn't make copies because the machine broke down every other minute, and there was no soap in the kids' bathrooms because the janitors just felt like they're going to make a mess of it. Um, so I think, I mean, that's really just the tip of the iceberg, I guess, and um, sure. there's a lot of evidence of the fall, I think, in education in America. Yeah, so there's, I mean, and we talked about the fall in a few different ways, like as this cosmic entropy kind of thing, you know, like things just falling apart, um, but also about people's own pride and selfishness and the competitive spirit that, that governs so much of what some of us do. Yeah, thank you. That's um, a, a wonderful perspective to share. Um, well, not wonderful in the sense that it's good, but it's very helpful to hear. Thank you. Um, Maybe we could start with, or go, go to Steph next on this question. The, um, with the, the fall, I would definitely have to say that um, it's interesting because I feel like sometimes I'm able to see people at their best, and I also see people at their worst. And one of the things that was most startling to me, and I saw this particularly as an RN, is that um, I, there were times where I, was, I saw Christians at their worst. And where I think that you know, when it's presented as I am a Christian, this is who I am, these are my roles, and um, it was startling almost how it was used as a weapon. And mm -hmm. as a, not necessarily always in a Christian institution, where there's people who necessarily, this is, they really struggle with faith, the concept of God, things like this. And just the um, horrible, like, I hate these word testimony, but it is. The example that's set. And um, in those moments, um, also, regardless of your faith, just... Um, when presented with huge life-altering challenges, whether or not you are that patient or you're their family and how you respond to that and then how the providers um, may try to guide certain ways or not can really be stunning. Um, and uh, just kind of example where our own human um, weaknesses and uh, failure of having God um, can really influence. Yeah. So, and I think that's why it's so important that we get the whole Christian story right, right? So the, the, the whole world is good part speaks to the, the idea that, that you, fi you can find goodness even among people who are not among the, uh, the saved, you know, to use the old churchy term there, um, which is not one that we should necessarily discard. 
but also that the whole world is fallen, and that, that includes people who are among the saved, and that the whole world needs to be redeemed. And if we don't have that story right, and if we set up a different expectation for what the story of the universe is, um, which very often I think we do, then hypocrisy becomes a much worse problem, and a lot of what you just said, I think, gets worse. Yeah. Um, Angela, you were smiling at something that she was saying there. Do you, do you have something? I was actually smiling at Ruby sneezing. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, that's fine. Sorry, that's a good I, reason. I knew my facial expression was probably inappropriate. But, um, <laughs> it, I mean, I'd like to answer this question. Yes, because, please do. Um, yeah. it's, very, it's a very extreme example in my uh, line of work um, in that uh, there is a, a false um, or a sense of a what I consider a false dichotomy between being a scientist and being a person of faith. Um, and, th- and that comes not just from science, but also from the faith community that, um, you know, I've, I've been told anyone who believes in creation is an idiot. And I've been told that any college that teaches evolution isn't Christian enough for my children. Um, even if, you know, they... Anyway, regardless of how they approach teaching the theory of evolution. Um, But uh, my field is full of uh, cynicism. Um, It's difficult. People have to be very dedicated to to their work. And then there's also a a rampant notion that we don't need God. Um, That's something that I actually fall prey to. You know, I hesitate to say a lot because it's embarrassing, but it's really a stumbling block for me to sort of just not even think about it because it's um, it's not only a, a common cultural aspect to sort of <laughs> dismiss the, the the supernatural or the um, un, unknowableness of God as being like you know a ridiculous concept, um, but it's also something that actually. Um, it's not common. I don't want to give the impression that um, all scientists are like this, but that you can actually um, still be um, persecuted. I can't think of a less inflammatory word than that at the moment. But um, there are people in my field who, if they learn that you're a Christian or you go to church, you know, that's going to severely affect how they perceive you and whether or not they think that you are a good scientist because they think that those things are incompatible. Hmm. Um, you know, my chairman being one of those people, so it's difficult for me to figure out how I'm going to live my faith at work when, you know, if I threw it in my chairman's face, it would have consequences for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, it's in one respect I feel cowardly about it, but it's one of the things that I struggle with a lot. Yeah, thank you. So go ahead and take the mic, Megan. I'm going to ask you to, to begin our conversation about that third part of the Christian story. The whole world is being redeemed. And so what evidence do you see of God's redemptive work and love in your workplace? I think um, this is my favorite part about working in the field that I do. I think um, many people in service-related professions see this where... I'm surrounded by people who are doing this simply because they feel called and care so much about the work they do. 
Um, very rarely do I run into people who are doing this because they are trying to make a profit or buy a summer home or buy. Um, and it, it's really, it's incredible. I work with, um, I spend a lot of time over at Rochester Psychiatric Center. And uh, the treatment teams that I see there are spending hours and hours above and beyond what they're really scheduled to do because they care so much about the clients and patients they're working with. And um, to me, that's, that's just a really impressive thing. And I think people in other service industries could probably see the same thing. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a religious component to that. I mean, the people that I see feeling this way and doing this work um, span many different religions and nationalities and backgrounds and cultures, but it seems to be this common theme of service. Um, and so I, I think that's a great example. Yeah, yeah. Um, Angela, would you like to give thoughts on this third part of the story in your workplace? It's um, a really hard question for me to answer. As we were talking about before, it's... Um, I don't think <laughs> scientists are necessarily more altruistic than the population as a whole. They're not, you know, doing it to cure cancer. I mean, I'm sure they were when they were 21 and they started <laughs> graduate school, but by the time they're running their own lab, it's just kind of like, this is what I know how to do and I'm good at. Um, but um, kind of something that you said triggered the idea that, you know, I think God uses us irregardless of our own attitude um, because eventually, especially in biomedical research, you know, what, what we're trying to learn and, and do is there to help people. Yeah. Um, and even though maybe not a lot of our hearts are in the right place, God still uses us to, to help, his, um, help his people and help creation. Yeah, thank you. Same question for you. The, um, I guess I, well, you know, you kind of addressed um, where, you know, the actual employees and things like that. And where I've kind of seen is um, the redemption is people's also made, and this is regardless of who you are or what your background is or your faith association, but it also can be amazing to see how people are able to lay down their own wishes and desires. And it cannot come from anyone other. Um, this is not a, you know, go-to emotion or, or a reaction or... Um, but it is stunning to me at the same time and um, kind of awe-inspiring to watch people put the needs of others ahead of themselves. And these are family members or patients who are dying in the bed. Um, and as they are able to just tap into something that is so much bigger and so much greater. And uh, that is really, um, it's, a, it's an honor to work with, I guess. Mm. Thank you. And Jolene, how about you? Um, I... I think the field that I'm in especially, I see evidence of this because I'm so inspired every day by um, the teachers that I see who really are putting the kids first. And um, at Warner, I mean, there's so much work going on there. They're really fighting for... I mean, I don't really think that anyone at Warner would say they're doing it from a Christian standpoint, but it really is the work um, that Christians should be doing is kind of working to level the playing field um, and, you know, the teacher that I'm working with right now is an inspiration to me, my cooperating teacher. She is really all about putting the kids first um, and just looking at what they need and not getting... I think for me especially that inspires me because it reminds me that I 
not to get so bogged down in all the administrative stuff, the logistical stuff, the kind of the nitty-gritty that that can be really tiring sometimes, but to remind me what is what the goal really is, just getting back to that original goodness that is inherent, I think, in um, the field that I'm in. Yeah. Thank you. Well, so that last question, I think, is, is a hinge point for us, all of us, as we begin to, to try to live this out. Because the last question identifies or tries to identify places where God is already at work. God is already doing something to redeem the world in your workplace. And I think, I've thought for quite a long time, actually, that uh, a huge part of, <clears throat> of being a Christian excuse me, is, is joining God in the work that you, you already see him doing. Um, and I think you, you encounter a lot less friction trying to bring the gospel to bear at work when you identify places that God is already bringing the gospel to bear at work. And you just come alongside that and try to, try to ride the wave and, uh, and make it bigger and better. Uh, now, that's not to say there's never a cause for starting from scratch, for going into the darkest place and shining the tiniest bit of light. Uh, but I think for many of us, if not most of us, we're going to be able to identify um, little glimmers of redemption that come from God's work in the world. And that's my encouragement to all, the four of you, and then I, to all of you as you have the same conversation, whether you're able to stay for lunch or not, I hope that you'll have this conversation um, the next step after identifying these three things, God's good creation, the fallenness of the world, and God's redemptive work, the next step is to say, what about me? What is my part in this story? That's the question that I, I leave all of you with as we conclude this series. So uh, would you join me in thanking our discussion panel? You guys did a great job. It's really helpful to have you with us. Jolene and Steph and Angela and Megan, so grateful for your perspective and uh, for being willing to share part of yourself. And uh, thank you so much. Actually, I'm going to need that later. Thanks, Stan. So I want to close briefly with this uh, meditation from Cardinal John Henry Newman, and then we'll open the communion table and sing another song or two together. Um, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall know it in the next. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for nothing. I shall do good. I shall do his work. Therefore, I will trust him. Whatever, wherever I am, I cannot be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he is about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. I want to open to uh, the table of communion now. And uh, if you're seeking to follow Jesus in this place 
and out of this place, into your workplace and beyond. The communion table is for you. You do not have to be a member of our church or of our denomination or really of any particular church to take part in this sacrament of uh, our faith. You simply have to be seeking and trusting Jesus in all things. Um, You can tear off a piece of these uh, unleavened bread pieces, dip it in the wine or the juice, and receive Christ's body and blood broken and shed for you uh, as an act of remembrance, as he instructed his followers to do, as food for your hungry souls, and as an act of unity with one another and with uh, all Christians around the world. Our table's open. We're going to sing a couple more songs together, and then we'll have lunch and uh, give you some details about that in a few minutes. Um, But let's continue to worship him together this morning. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.